like you to open your Bibles today, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 12. And I do want to say that we are thankful again for mothers that are in attendance today. I have mentioned in the past that if you ask pastors, what is the most important Sunday of the year? Some of them would say Mother's Day. And it seems kind of strange that they would say that, especially since last month we celebrated Easter. And if we have uh, certain days on a Christian calendar, if there is such a thing as a Christian calendar, then we would have to think that Resurrection Sunday is by far the most important Sunday that we have of the year. And from a theological perspective, that of course would be true because it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that validates the entire ministry of our Lord. But if we're going to look at it from a different perspective, a perspective of what is the most motivational day for family to come to church, and I'm kind of mentioning this in hindsight, that what you really should do on Mother's Day is to invite your family to come to church because there are things that your family will do for mom that they won't do for anybody else. And so you invite them to come to church. They, they may show up and just to honor mother, and we think that that's a good thing for people to do. But I do think that the Bible is very clear about this, that one of the most important parts of our lives is that we give our fathers and our mothers the respect that they deserve. This is very clearly commanded in the Ten Commandments. It says, honor thy father and thy mother. And as you know, the Ten Commandments cover all possible uh, scenarios concerning obedience to God and also to avoiding sin. And if you think about it, God could have said some things that he said in the Ten Commandments in a different way. He could have got his point across concerning respect for our families in a different way. What he could have done was nested this command inside of some other command, and then we would have it by inference. But God didn't do that. Instead, he, he he, he stated it very clearly. I mean, how could you be more direct than this, that God says, honor your father and your mother? And this is important because the scriptures that we're studying this morning, if you just take a very quick, casual reading of this, you may think that Jesus broke his own command, that he had disrespect for his mother. Now, we could quickly, I think, dismiss that notion. And at the same time, we can learn some very important information today from this passage about how Jesus felt about his family and what they thought about him. So if you'll look at Matthew chapter 12, and let's stand once again for the reading of God's word. In Matthew chapter 12, verse number 46, it says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today, and we thank you, Lord, for Mother's Day and for the opportunity that we have to honor mothers. And as we look into this uh, passage today, Lord, help us to understand some things about the relationship that Jesus had with his family, and then also, Lord, how we should act, what we should do, 
and then about the special relationship that we have with you being children of the Heavenly Father. Bless us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in our study of Matthew for quite some time, and it's not often that the text that we're in happens to coincide almost perfectly with some particular holiday or particular Sunday of the year that we might be uh, celebrating. I started Matthew back in December of 2008, and I had a purpose for beginning then, and that was that we would be in the exposition of the first chapters of Matthew, which tell about the birth of Jesus Christ at the same time that would be we would be at uh, Christmas. But since that time, we've rarely had any of the passages that we've studied that would just work in perfectly for a particular holiday. Now, things did work out here in April of this year that we were in the Gospel of Matthew in a place where Jesus was talking about the resurrection, but I chose not to use that particular scripture for Easter Sunday morning, instead chose something else. But we we have hit upon one here for Mother's Day that I think is appropriate for us to just to, to look into the scriptures and see the relationship that Jesus had with his family. And I believe that most important in the human family of Jesus would have been his mother. She was especially favored by God to bring the incarnate Son of God into the world. She was the mother of the Messiah, which happens to be the last king to sit upon the throne of David. And that was really the hope of all Jewish young ladies. They all had this desire that somehow God would bless them and they would be the one that would bring the Messiah into the world. But none of them actually understood how the Messiah would come. They didn't understand the virgin birth. That was prophesied hundreds of years before. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse number 14, it tells us there that Jesus would be born of a virgin. But it really didn't become clear until the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary had not been unfaithful to him, but that she had become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and the son that she would give birth to would be the Savior. Now, Mary and Joseph, of course, understood that. They had this direct knowledge that came through the angel where God said this is what it would be. But that was not common knowledge among the Jews. They didn't believe this fantastic story about Jesus. And so whenever they looked at him, they looked at him as someone who was born outside of marriage. They looked at the whole situation as being scandalous. And throughout his entire life, they they looked upon Jesus in a very suspect manner. As we look at our text today, we learn something about Mary that many people miss. And I certainly don't mean to demean Mary today or mothers in general, but there was a time when Mary was wrong, when she was wrong about Jesus and she needed to be corrected. Now, I want to take a few minutes here in the beginning to talk about that particular point as we consider the rejection of Jesus' family because his family rejected him. In verse number 46, the scriptures say that Jesus was talking to some people and and his mother and his brothers were desiring to speak with him. And it's evident that Jesus was inside a house because the text says that Mary and his brothers were waiting on the outside. And we're aware of what it was like whenever Jesus was preaching. 
He was a preacher that had no trouble at all attracting a crowd. And so when he went into someone's house to preach, very often the crowds would be so great that you couldn't pack another person into that place. And there would be people surrounding the house out in the streets. They'd be trying to get close to the door and close to the windows just to get a glimpse of him, just to hear a little bit of the words of wisdom that he had to say. And so this was probably like that, that here this house was very crowded and Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers came and approached that house and they desired to speak with Jesus. They couldn't get close enough to talk with him and so the buzz begins to go through the crowd that uh, Jesus and Jesus' mother and his brothers are waiting outside and that word gets passed along to him that they desire to speak with him. Now, if we wonder what Jesus might have been preaching on this particular day, then I think that we could safely assume that what he has to say in the previous verses in chapter 12 would supply us with the answer for that. And there were two very important claims that Jesus made just prior to this particular scripture that we have. One of those claims is that he was greater than the prophet Jonah. And the second claim that he was making, that he was greater than one of Israel's greatest kings, and that was King Solomon. And he said things like this. He said the Ninevites, the the people that are Gentiles, people that Jonah preached to, he says they were godlier than the Jews because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, was right there standing in their midst, preaching the word of God to them and Israel. The Jews would not believe what he said. And then he said the queen of Sheba came to see the the glory and the splendor, the greatness of Solomon, and she believed in Jehovah God because of what she saw. But then he said Israel, Israel would not repent. Israel would not recognize him even though he was a king that is greater than Solomon. And you might also remember that in the book of John that Jesus said such things as Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. And Abraham lived 2,500 years before Jesus was born. And he said things like, before Abraham was, I am. And those kinds of statements were really upsetting the Jews and making Jesus to appear that he was some sort of a crazy person. And they were thinking, that poor guy, what a crazy thing for this poor old boy from Nazareth to say that he's greater than the prophet Jonah, to say that he's richer than King Solomon. And so most commentators believe that this is why Mary and Jesus' brothers were outside of the house. It's because there were reports coming back to them that Jesus had become unbalanced. In our terminology, we would say he'd gone off the deep end. Or some would say he was a few bricks short of a full load. But he was making all these wild and crazy claims. And in Mark 3.21, it tells us there that some of his friends heard about this and they tried to, to get to Jesus and do something about it. Mark 3 says, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him because they said he is beside himself. And so we could look at the actions of Mary and Jesus' family in this way, that what they were doing was attempting an intervention. They were going to try to get to Jesus and reason with him and attempt to talk him down from this, to get him to calm down a bit and stop saying all of these wild and crazy things. So this tells us something about his family. It tells us that his family misunderstood his mission. 
They didn't understand what Jesus was all about. And we can certainly say that about his brothers. And we would note here uh, as a sidelight, and I think that we ought to mention this, that Jesus did have brothers and sisters. They were half-brothers and sisters because they were children of Mary and Joseph. While Jesus was only the son of Mary, his father was God. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she never did have any other children, that she was never intimate with any man, that her whole life was lived as a virgin, and she was sinless, and she was bodily assumed into heaven as a virgin. But we dispute that on a variety of levels. And let me show you one. If you'll just turn your Bibles there just a page or so to the 13th chapter. And in verse number 54, we can read here where the people were amazed at Jesus' teachings and they wondered how this uneducated Galilean could know so much. And we notice here what these scriptures have to say about his family. In verse number 54, the 13th chapter... And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And so there we find the names of Jesus' brothers. We have mention of his sisters. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. In fact, she had many children after Jesus was born, and their father was Joseph. So we have these several children that are mentioned here that grew up with Jesus. There are at least four brothers. We don't know how many sisters that they were, but they all grew up with him. But there's something interesting about them. Having lived with this, this one who is the son of God, the one who is the virgin-born son of Mary, an interesting thing about this is that none of them believed in Jesus. None of them believed in his mission. None of them understood that he was truly the son of God. None thought that he was the Messiah. And so none of them knew what Jesus came into the world to do. Now, I have no doubt about Mary. Mary was told about Jesus' special birth. He was the elder brother, and although they might have looked up to Jesus as their, their elder brother and respected him for that, they did not believe what Mary told them about Jesus. And none of them believed until the ultimate proof was given to them, which was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the scriptures show us that especially two of his brothers became prominent Christians. James, his brother, became the author of the book of James in the New Testament. He also was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And Jude, or Judas as he's mentioned here, wrote scripture. And he referred to Jesus as Lord. But at this particular point, none of them but Mary was a believer. All of them were skeptical of him. And so they came on this particular day to talk some sense into him. Now, the thing about it is we have to wonder, what is Mary's part in this? There's no doubt she was a believer because, of course, she is the virgin that gave birth. I mean, no one would know that better than her. An angel appeared to her to tell her who the baby was. And she spoke these wonderful words of salvation in Luke chapter 1. And we note there especially that she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And there you find a refutation of another Roman Catholic doctrine, and that is that Mary never sinned. 
Mary knew she needed a savior. She knew that she was needed to be redeemed by God like every single person that sits in this room today. She knew she was a sinner and she recognized it and that's why she was so exuberant in her praise to God that God had visited her and favored her and made her the mother of the incarnate son of God. And so we wonder how was Mary involved in this intervention? S. Lewis Johnson imagines that the conversation went something like this. That Mary says to Jesus, Now, son, we're delighted that you're so interested in the scriptures and in spiritual things, and that you're interested in all of this evangelistic preaching that you're doing. This is all very good. We're very interested in the fact that you like to read the Bible, that you have all these strange friends. That's fine. That's perfectly all right. But don't you know that you're upsetting people all over the land and the synagogue is getting very disturbed over you and you are in danger of being put out of our denomination. I mean, our synagogue. That's what Johnson says. Now, isn't that sometimes the reactions of mothers and fathers to a child that wants to dedicate himself wholly to the Lord? Parents today are more interested in what school their children are going to attend They're more interested in their education and in their career. And so sometimes parents steer their children away from ministry and try to get them to keep quiet because what they want is for them to be successful in the world. Now, my purpose today is to applaud mothers, and I, and I certainly do applaud those that want their children to respect God and to respect their church and, and to do their duty as Christians more than anything. And so what I would do is to encourage any parent, never do anything, never allow anything that takes your children away from church. Don't let them spend Saturday nights with friends and they don't show up for church. Don't permit activities that take them away from Sunday school and away from the church services. And I'll say there's some of you that you need to bring your children to church on Wednesday nights and you need to give up this excuse, well, they just don't want to come and so I don't want to make them. The heart of a child will always be rebellious if you permit it. Now, I'm not trying to pin something here on Mary that might not be here, but this apparent skepticism that his brothers had may have been aided by the, re- the actions of Mary. And I might remind you as well that your activities in the home and your enthusiasm for your church and your enthusiasm for for what we do here will affect your children and affect their decisions about serving God. They'll remember what you've done. And you don't ever expect that your children are going to do more than you're willing to do yourself. Don't underestimate your children what they're learning about what you do at home and about what they learn in the church. Now, I was talking to uh, Melissa on Easter, and she was telling me that Thad in the grocery store gave an analysis of the resurrection of Christ in the grocery line where they're standing there waiting to check out. Uh, What's Thad? Thad's six years old. If you don't believe it, ask him. He'll tell you he's six years old. But in verse 47... We see this rebuke for Mary and the rest of the family. Now, word comes to Jesus that the family is outside waiting on him. And I suppose that could have been a little bit of embarrassment for him. Hey, Jesus, your mommy wants to speak to you. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. And Jesus responds to that. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? 
And who are my brethren? And this is where some people think that Jesus was being disrespectful. But this is not disrespect. What he's saying here is that nothing is going to get in the way of his mission. Nothing will deter him. Nothing's going to stop him from preaching the truth. He has a task to do. God has called him to this. God has appointed him to this. He's the son of God. And he's going to keep doing it even if he receives opposition from his own family. And he's the one that taught us that that could happen. And back in chapter 10, he said, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. We can expect opposition from unbelieving family members, and sometimes we also get opposition from lukewarm Christians that live in the same house. And so Jesus recognize what the family was trying to do. And I'm sure they were well-meaning. They had to write hard in this, I think, but they're terribly misguided. They didn't understand the mission. And so the words become words of rebuke to his mother and to his family, and they come from Jesus, who is first of all the Son of God. That's what he was from all time, from eternity, before he ever became the incarnate Son of Mary. But lest we would think that Jesus was not a good son and he stepped out here and he said something to his mother that he ought not to say, I want you to look at this next, that he had compassion for their condition. He understood where they were. He had compassion for them. See, Jesus desired the salvation of his brothers and sisters. In fact, who is Jesus but the Savior and the one who is the determiner of who will be saved? And we know for sure concerning James and Judas that they were later saved. And I'm of the opinion that the rest of the family also believed when Jesus arose from the dead. But did Jesus really respect his mother even though he had to rebuke her? Well, he also had compassion on his mother. And we see a particular incident of this when Jesus was being crucified and there he saw his mother Mary What a terrible thing that she had to go through, that she was present to watch her son being nailed to a cross and there hanging in agony. And as Jesus was in that agony, he looked at her and had compassion on her, not thinking about himself. John says in John 19, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son, And then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. I think that this had to be an understanding that was already in place between Jesus and John. He knew what would happen to him. He was dying on the cross. And so he committed the care of his mother to this beloved disciple, John. Now it's evident at this time that Mary was a widow... Joseph had died, and probably by the time we're reading in Matthew 12, he was dead there as well. But Jesus cared for her. He was the eldest son. He's the one who had responsibility for her. And so he cared for her. He knew the great sacrifices that she had made. He knew the ridicule that she had been through. Now you think about living in the time of Jesus and and these people that we read about in in the first century that Mary had become pregnant before she was married to Joseph, there was a lot of ridicule that went along with that. And that reminds me, and I hope you as well, 
that good mothers make sacrifices for their children. I think about my mother. My mother always cared to see that I had everything that I needed. My mother, uh, when I was growing up, even when I got into my teenage years and when I first started to, to leave home, that she would, I would get up and she'd always make sure my breakfast was ready. She always made sure things were prepared. I should have been doing those things myself, maybe fixing her breakfast. But, but she always made sure that every, I had everything that I needed. And, and now I, I have the, the privilege of living with a woman and being married to a woman who is a kind and compassionate mother. My wife will do anything for her children. And she's not in very good health now, but it doesn't matter. I mean, she'll, she'll expend herself to do things for her children. And I don't know of any children that would be any more broken than mine if something was to happen to their mother. Here is Jesus being kind to his mother. He knew that he was going to outlive her and he wanted to make sure that she was taken care of just like she had taken care of him as she raised him. Now that brings me then to the next part of our text and this is the reception into God's family. In verse 48 it says, but when he answered and said unto them that told him, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now Jesus recognized the value of family relationships. He never denied that. And this is why the Bible has so much to say about this. Honor thy father and thy mother. It's very, very important in Scripture. In fact, the command to honor father and mothers is the command in the Bible that actually has a promise that's attached to it. God said, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So here is a command with the promise. And Jesus would never belittle these types of family relationships. But at the same time, he's going to teach us here that there is a family relationship that is far more important than the one you have with your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters. So Jesus surveyed the crowd. He looked it over and he saw his disciples and he said, these people are my family. These are my family, the ones that do the will of my heavenly father. They're the ones that are in my family. And when it comes right down to the brass tacks, this is the family that matters the most. And it matters the most because all of us have been commanded to honor and to serve God. Our chief responsibility is to honor God. And this is what Jesus demands from people. He says, you must forsake your family if your family stands in the way of you serving God. Now, in in another sense, even if our families are in favor of us serving God and they are good families and they love the Lord, then they're going to understand this very important point. They will understand that our first duty above family is to God. I appreciate strong family ties. I appreciate husbands that love their wives and wives that love their husbands. I appreciate good family people that love their children, but that relationship is secondary to the one that we have with Jesus Christ. Now let me make two important points as I close the message this morning. First of all, we are not automatically in God's family. 
None of us are born into a relationship with God. We are not born into God's family. I know there's a false teaching that's been around for a long, long time. This persists that there is such a thing as the universal fatherhood of God. Or in other words, all of us are God's children. Everybody, no matter who you are, you are in God's family. That's not taught in the Bible. In fact, we find the denial of it here in this very scripture. Who are those that are in the family of God? Well, it's very clear here that Jesus says it's those that do the will of God. Now, what does that mean to do the will of God? Well, first of all, that's nothing less than a call to salvation. The will of God is that you repent of your sins and you come to Jesus Christ in faith. It's the will of God that Christ should come to this earth to be born of a virgin Mary, to live a sinless life, and then go to the cross and die for our sins. It's the will of God for Jesus to save, and that's what he came into the world to do, and it's God's will for you to hear him, to listen to him. It's his will for you to believe that the sacrifice on Calvary was the way that your sins could be forgiven. It's the way that you become holy. It's the way that you are enabled to have this relationship and fellowship with God. And so it's salvation that brings you into the family of God. And that means that there is no person that is not a believer that is in a relationship with God. Now, do you see what this means? It means your mother, your mother may be a fine, upstanding Christian, but your mother doesn't stand good for you. You're not a Christian because mom is a Christian. And you know something else the scriptures are showing us here? You're not even a Christian if you say, I believed and I was baptized and I became a member of the church. What you say does not make you a Christian. Jesus tells us what it takes to be a Christian. It's the person that does the will of the Father. And so a person who is truly saved will not only say that he has believed, but he will begin to do and live what he believes. And if that living doesn't follow the confession, then the confession isn't real. I'm not saying that the good things that you do will make you a Christian, but I am saying that a real faith is always a demonstrated faith. Real faith shows up in serving the Lord. And so if you go on day after day saying that you're a Christian and yet you never live like Christ... If your heart hasn't been changed, if there isn't something different about you, then you have no right to believe that you are actually in the family of God. Jesus has already made that clear in the preceding verses when he talked about the heart. He taught there that what's in your heart shows up in your actions, and if those actions are not to do the will of the Father, then you have no valid claim to salvation. So who does Jesus say that are in his family? Who are his brothers and his sisters and his mother? It is those who do the will of the Father. And it's really hard for us to get around that statement. It's those who do the will of the Father. Now there are too many people that are in churches that rely on a former confession. They look back to the time that they walked down an aisle and they shook the pastor's hand. They remember they went down the steps into the baptistry and they got dunked there. And their faith is in the activities of the past, things they've done in the past. The Bible never says for you to rely on what happened in the past. If your confession is good, it'll be a confession that persists into the present. 
And if what happened in the past was genuine, what you do in the present will confirm it. So rely on what you do now to show and demonstrate that you really have true faith in your heart. And then secondly, I want you to see that we are adopted into God's family. We don't get in automatically. We're not children of God by eternal generation as Jesus Christ was. We have to be adopted into this family. And that's because we've been born outside of it. We're not born into God's family. We're born again into it. And then we have to be adopted in order to receive all the legal rights of a natural born child. All the privileges Now, the Bible says that we become heirs of God and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And that means that the adoption of God has given us the right to live in heaven and to enjoy all of the promises and all the things that are owned by God. And that comes by personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you know that there are many people that have been forsaken by their families. This is a common thing. Sometimes children are abandoned. Sometimes there are orphan children. Children grow up without a father. Some grow up without a mother. Some grow up with neither. Some have both father and mother in the home. And yet there is no real close relationship even with the biological mother and father. Now the reason that Jesus talks about the superiority of this spiritual family is because the, the physical family can break down. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands today, but how many of you have a black sheep in your family? I mean, there's somebody in your family that you're just not too crazy about being around, and, you know, they're kind of wild out there, and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, and so the rest of the family kind of stays away from them. They don't really want to think about them. Physical families break down, but God's spiritual family never does. None of them ever comes to the place where they forsake Jesus Christ as their Lord. Now, I'm not saying they act right all the time. Being a pastor, we got some crazy acting members sometimes, and I wonder what in the world's going on with some people. But I know that they're not going to forsake the Lord if they truly have trusted in Christ. And not only does the the Word of God say that your family may forsake you, it adds something else to that. It says... God will never forsake you. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard times become, no matter what you have to go through, the Word of God says God never forsakes you. He never forsakes you. Now that's a wonderful benefit of becoming a child of God. You come to a place like this and you look around and there are people here that are in the family of God. And if you're in the family of God then all of these people are in your family too. All of those who have God as their father become brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now you see verse number 50, it says, whosoever shall do the will of my father. And that's an inclusive statement. That's a statement that includes all races. It includes the rich and the poor. It includes males and females. It includes educated and uneducated I had someone in my office just the other day and I was talking to them about salvation and this person said to me, I don't think that you can become a Christian unless you are educated in the Bible like you. And I said, I was saved when I was seven years old. I didn't know a whole lot of things. I knew how to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did to save me. 
You see, folks, if you have an understanding of what Christ did on the cross, then you are among these whosoevers that Jesus is speaking of here. So that physical family breaks down. It can break down. But that spiritual family of Jesus Christ never does. And so you can come to him. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you have this understanding of what Jesus did for you, you can be saved. So you're not automatically in the family of God. That's the exclusive side. All that are included, all are included that believe, and all are excluded that don't believe. You get adopted into God's family. These are people that have trusted Christ. And when you do, that means all the red tape and all the bureaucracy of religion that people try to heap on this thing. It doesn't take any of that. All you have to do is simply put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. All you have to do is believe. And when you do, you look around and you see all the people here with a different race, different education, different in personalities, different in economics. There's some people here that are in stocks and bonds. And there's some people like me that are just one step ahead of stocks and bonds and debtors prison. But that doesn't matter. Those that do the will of the Father are in the family of God. A Mother's Day is a great day. I'm glad that we have it. And I'm going to attempt to talk to my mother today. She's Time zones are different and church and all that is different times we're in church they're out we're out of church they're in so it makes it a little bit difficult so what i did was i called her early this year to wish her happy mother's day but i'm going to try to talk to her today and i know this that there is nothing that makes a christian mother happier than to know that her children are serving the lord and it doesn't matter if they're as poor as job's turkey doesn't matter what their job is or anything else if they know the lord what else matters That's the most important thing. You can have it all. You can have it all and not really have anything if you don't know Jesus Christ. If you fulfill God's purpose for your life, what is greater than that? What else matters? Well, we have a good ending to this. Jesus was crucified. You say, good ending? Jesus was crucified? Well, that's not really a bad thing. It was bad for those that that did it but it was very good for the whole human race and that's because jesus gave up his life so that you can have yours he gave up his life so that you can come into his family jesus had a good godly mother and he respected her and he loved her and not only was she a part of his physical family she was also a part of his spiritual family And so he knew while he was hanging on that cross that he would have to leave her. But that was not the end of it. He would die on the cross, arise from the grave, and then he would ascend into heaven. And because his mother was in his spiritual family, then she would be in heaven also with him. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that really what you want? You know, I ask people, do you love your mother? Do you love your mother? Well, what could be better than to see her in heaven? What could be better for her to see you in heaven? And this is what happens when you're in the family of God. There is no greater blessing than to know Jesus Christ and to be in this spiritual family. And that's the one that matters the most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are just so thankful for Jesus Christ who gave his life and died for our sins. 
And Lord, what we want most to see happened in our families now that we know you is we want all of them to come to know you as Savior as well. We want all of them to to dedicate themselves to you and serve you so that we all, all can be in this great spiritual family that can have fellowship with one another, not only here in a place like Berean Baptist Church, but one day we'll see each other again in heaven and have a glorious reunion there around with all of our brothers and sisters that are in Christ. Lord, help us to be witnesses for you. Help us to honor father and mother as we should. I pray for people here that have fathers and mothers that don't know you as Savior. And I I ask you, Lord, that you'd give them the courage to talk to them and open up hearts that they may believe. And then we have some mothers and fathers whose children don't know you or children that have made professions of faith and now they're walking wayward and we haven't seen them in church for years. Lord, I just pray that you would turn such people around, point them to the real faith of Jesus Christ. And I pray that mothers would be able to see their children serving you as they desire to see. Lord, we pray that you would bless this service as we close today and help us ever to keep our minds upon you to serve and worship you and love you and to give your gospel to those who need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.